0: throughout this fall semester. So now to Luke 18, verses 1-8. to Hear now the word of God. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to Him and saying... Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, would You help us now as we come to the words of Jesus? As we come to this uh, story that, in some ways, surprises us. As we come to Jesus' call to pray and not lose heart. Would you help us to hear this morning with clarity? And would you help us to hear with humility? May we place ourselves under the powerful Word of God that you have given to us. And may we be changed by it. May it produce faith in us. And may that faith produce obedience. Open our ears. Open our eyes and open our hearts. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's play a little word association game. When I say the word prayer, what word comes to your mind? Awkward? that weird thing that religious people do, that even if I am religious and I try to do it, I'm not sure how to do it, I'm not sure why, what to say, and I feel like I'm making stuff up. Uh, maybe the word inefficient, a waste of time. Why are we speaking words into the ether when we could be getting stuff done? Or maybe the word that comes to your mind and the word that comes to your heart is the word guilt. I know I should pray more. I know I should pray better. I I know that when I should pray, I shouldn't be falling asleep or my mind wandering to the upcoming college football season. Or is that just me? We know instinctively, I think even if you're not a Christian, you know instinctively that that prayer is an essential part of the life of faith. It, It is deep at the heart of this thing that we call Christianity, the Christian life. But at the same time, we also know that prayer is difficult, and it is strange. And here's the deal. Jesus knew that as well. Jesus knew that prayer would be difficult for us. Did you notice how Luke sets up this parable that Jesus tells us here in Luke chapter 18? He says Jesus told this story. Why? So that his disciples would pray and not lose heart. What's the implication of that? You're going to want to lose heart. You're going to want to quit. This is going to be Difficult. Prayer is not something that is natural and easy. You will be tempted to quit. And so Jesus knew that prayer was difficult, but he did not leave us without help. He acknowledged the difficulty of prayer, and then he gives us a resource to help us in that difficulty. And notice he doesn't give us a 17. point plan for a more effective prayer life. Now he tells a story, a story about a corrupt government official and an annoying woman. And so I want us to consider the help that Jesus has given to us here in Luke chapter 18. And I want us to ask three questions about prayer. I want to ask what, how, and why. So for what should we pray, how should we pray, why should we? First of all, what? It is significant that Jesus chooses a widow as one of the main characters for his story. You see, widows were some of the most vulnerable people in this culture. Widows throughout history have been vulnerable, but they were especially vulnerable in ancient Jewish culture because when a wife lost her husband, she lost her connection to the family inheritance because the inheritance passed through the male line. And I've mentioned this before, but for ancient Jewish society, inheritance was everything. It was essential for survival, not to mention a thriving life. So to lose the connection to an inheritance was almost death. It was social cultural death. And what God does in response to this is throughout His Word, throughout Scripture, God says I care about these most vulnerable people. And He says I want you, my people, to care about these most vulnerable people. And in the Old Testament He designs a justice system that takes the disinherited and moves them to be re-inherited. God designs a system of justice where these vulnerable people will not fall through the societal cracks. So, when this woman comes to the judge and asks for justice, she is asking for God's design. Someone is trying to take what little she has and she is saying, no, that is not the way it's supposed to be. Make it right. Make it right according to God's design. Do justice according to the will of God. This woman is requesting what Jesus taught His disciples to request. She is asking for the kingdom of God. She is saying, let the will of God be done on earth as it is done in heaven. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Make it right. That's what we are to pray for. Prayer involves praise and gratitude, but Jesus is talking about the asking part of prayer. And the core prayer request is, God, according to your design, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Make it right. Do justice. Bring your will on earth as it is done in heaven. That's what we are to ask for. That's what we are to pray for. And I don't know about you, but for me, that feels like a fantasy. It feels like pr- praying for the end of a fantasy novel. Right? Praying for the end of Lord of the Rings, Right? evil has been defeated, the hobbits are back in the shire, it's all soft light and slow motion. Good, nice idea, but it feels disconnected from daily life, doesn't it? I think so often when we hear that we're supposed to pray for the kingdom, we're supposed to pray for justice, for God's will to be done on earth, we think out there, at a distance, pray for the missionaries, pray for the situation around the world. And those are good kingdom prayers. But I want you to notice, this woman prays at the intersection of her experience, her experience, and the way that it's not supposed to be. Her her request emerges from the connection between her life and the fallenness of the world. And that's where our prayers should come from. They should come from that tension between ideal and reality. Our prayers come from the distance between God's beautiful design for us and our broken experience of a fallen world. So yes, we should pray for the missionaries. We should pray for the situation around the world. But we should also pray for that wayward child who is strayed from the faith. We should also pray for our friend that God would put faith in their hearts. We should also pray that God would meet the needs of that single woman who we know who is struggling to make ends meet. We should also pray for God to break the patterns of our sin in our lives. Those are all ways of saying, This is not right. This is not according to God's design. God, make it right. Bring justice. Establish righteousness in my life and on the earth. So whether it is praying for something at a distance, a distant global need, or whether it is praying about the struggle with my anger, the core of what we are to pray for is This is not the way it's supposed to be. Father, God, would you make it right? That's the content of our prayers. That's what drives what we pray for. But what about the method? What is effective asking technique? Second question, how should we pray? That's what should we pray now? How should we pray? It's interesting that, I mentioned this earlier, Jesus doesn't give us a formula for prayer. Elsewhere in Scripture, He does give us a pattern, but He doesn't give us a formula. He doesn't give us an incantation where we say the right words in the right order to get the right results. What does God do here? What does Jesus do? He gives us more of of a characteristic. How should we pray? I want you to pray like this woman. I want you to be annoying like she is. I want you to pray in a way that could be called bothersome. The judge responds to this woman, and and the language he uses is, she is going to kill me with her insistence. And so I'm going to give her what she wants. Jesus answers the question, how should we pray with the answer, be annoying. You know that person who just won't let it go? Pray like that. Do that. It's like those dogs, you know, and they clamp on something, and you try to pull it away. What do they do? They bite down harder. That's how Jesus wants us to pray. Or, or a biblical example. Maybe some of you remember the story of Jacob. Jacob was a founding father of the nation of Israel. Uh, one of those through whom God's promises passed to his people, and Jacob was a scoundrel. He was a messed up guy, a liar and a thief. In fact, he stole the inheritance from his brother through his own deception. The inheritance that God had promised to his people, Jacob stole it through his own deception. And maybe you remember that time. He's on his way back to his homeland to claim what is rightfully his, to claim the inheritance that has been promised to him. And he's going to encounter his brother Esau, and there's all this drama, and maybe there's going to be a war, and it's nighttime, and Jacob is camping in the desert. And someone shows up at his campsite. And the text is really mysterious about who exactly this is, but later it tells us that Jacob wrestled with God. So someone shows up on the campsite. Jacob doesn't seem to know who it is, but he latches on to this person, and they wrestle all night. And the sun is about to rise. And this man or angel, we don't know who exactly it was, but this man says to Jacob, let me go. And Jacob holds on, and he says, no, I will not let you go until you bless That's prayer. That's prayer. It is laying hold of God, wrestling with Him and saying, you have promised this. Now keep your promises. Now that seems a little disrespectful to us. But that is the biblical pattern of prayer. Read the book of Psalms. Over and over again, the psalmist sings, God, you said that you would do this. I am headed towards the grave. Where are you? Keep your promises. Jesus calls us to a tenacious approach to asking God. And we need to think about the reason why he does that. Why does he call us to this type of prayer? But did you notice at the end of his lesson in verse 8, he says, the Son of Man will return, and that's Jesus. Jesus will return, and when he returns, what is he looking for? He's not looking for prayer, he's looking for faith. He tells us to pray this way because he's looking for faith. This type of praying expresses a heart of faith. What Jesus says scares some of us because we think of faith um, as content or emotion. Okay, so to have faith, I need to know enough or I need to feel enough. Faith involves content and emotion, but how is faith defined here? It is defined with this woman. Faith here is defined as someone who persistently asks for help. Jesus is looking for people who will live their life with the humility to persistently and consistently say, Help. That's what faith is. It is living life saying, Help. But aren't we tempted to give up far too easily? when it comes to asking for help. And by we, I mean me. I prayed for that. I'm bored with it. It seems ineffective. Let's move on to something else. As Jesus calls us to faith, He calls us to a life of prayer that comes again and again and again, asking God for help. Now, still... That is difficult for us. That is hard for us because it pushes against our desire for self-sufficiency. It challenges our do-it-yourself culture because it puts us in this life of persistent dependence. And we don't like that, so why? Third question, why should we pray? Why should we live in this way? Why should we express this consistent cry for help to God? Well, while the widow in this story is a pattern for us, is a good example for us, she is not the main point of the parable. The widow is not the main point of the parable. The central insight of this story that Jesus tells in Luke 18, the central insight is this. It is that the judge is not God. God is not like this corrupt government official. God God is not annoyed. He he is not like this man who only gives justice in response to being bothered. God is not like that. He is different from this judge. He is not a corrupt man who is annoyed by our needs. He is a loving Father who welcomes our cry for help. This is a how much more story. If this judge will give justice to a woman based only on his annoyance at her, how much more will God give justice to his elect, to those who belong to him, to those whom he loves. He is a gracious, loving Father who welcomes our cries for help. Now that creates a problem for us because if that is true, we have to ask, why then do we continue to experience life as it should not be? If God is a loving Father who hears and answers our prayers, why do we continue to experience pain and loss suffering and injustice? Jesus addresses that problem with time. And there's a lot of debate and there's some confusion about what Jesus says in verses 7 and 8. And some people think that Jesus is saying, if you ask God to do justice, he's going to immediately do it. But that doesn't fit with the context, does it? Why did Jesus tell this parable in the first place? So that we would not lose heart. Which means, hey, there is going to be a time where you don't experience the fullness of God's justice. You might experience pieces and parts of it, but you will not experience it in its fullness. And I want you to keep asking for it during that time. So Jesus' message about timing is not soon, it is sudden. It is not justice will come in two days. It is God's justice when it finally and fully comes, will come like a lightning bolt. Sudden and certain and complete. And while you wait for it, continue to pray. Continue to ask for it. Do you see how Jesus' message about timing thrusts us back onto the character of God? It says, will you trust God to be better than this unjust judge even when your prayers don't get immediate results? And you know this, right? If you've prayed at all, if you've tried to pray at all, you understand that God often doesn't answer our prayers according to the timing and method that we would choose. And even when He does, it's only a piece of the world being made right. It's not justice in full. And So the reason for prayer, the reason that we pray cannot be immediate effectiveness. The reason we pray is the eternal character of God. The reason we pray is because of who God is. A loving Father who will bring justice to those who belong to Him. You see the tenacity that Jesus wants from us in prayer doesn't come from an internal resource. It doesn't become because I'm mentally or emotionally tough. I'm an American. I'm not going to give up. That's not where tenacity comes from. Tenacity and prayer come from an external reality. It comes from who God is as wise and just and loving and good. We risk The annoyance of asking again and again because God is not annoyed with us. He delights in us and He is at work for our ultimate good. One of my professors in seminary told a story that I think illustrates this and captures the heart of prayer very well. He and his wife were hosting a holiday party. And as they prepared the house for people to show up, they put out little bowls of M&M's all around their home. And uh, he had a young daughter at the time. She was about two and a half years old. And she decided to start the party early. And so she was going from bowl to bowl, grabbing M&M's for herself. And they thought it was cute at first, and they let her do it. But then it was time to stop because she was going to make herself sick. And so they tried to pull her away from the bowls and say, no, don't get any more m and and it just wasn't working, and tension was building. And so Mom and Dad finally decided to take all the bowls and put them up on the refrigerator out of the little girl's room. And when she saw them do that, in her confusion and anger, she melted down. Screams and tears. But, she didn't stomp away in anger. In her confusion, in her anger, in her tears, she threw up her arms to her dad. And and he picked her up and she wrapped her arms around his neck and clung to him in her sorrow. That's the movement of prayer. Even in our confusion and anger at a world that is so deeply broken, whether than moving away from God, we come to Him even with confusion, even with anger, and we wrap our arms and cling to His neck because of who He is, because He is our Father. And how do we know that? How do we know that God is that character for us? Well, throughout this series, I have said that we need to pay attention not only to the stories, but to the storyteller. And the way that we know God in this way is to look at Jesus. Jesus, who is the heavenly judge, become a man on earth. Jesus, who suffered the judgment that we deserved, died rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And what does the Bible say that Jesus does right now? He not only hears our prayers, but He prays for us. And He has given us His Holy Spirit who prays in us when we don't have words to pray. Why does Jesus do all of that? So that we can know that we are God's elect that He hears and that He answers our prayers. Let's pray.